Hello and welcome to the Marysville Journal Tribune podcast. My name is Michael Williamson and I'm here today with Mac Cordell, reporter, Kayleen Petrovia, reporter, Ali Lanassa, reporter. Managing Editor Chad Williamson. All right. So today on the show, we're going to talk about at a recent planning and zoning meeting uh, for the city of Marysville, an organization came to talk about uh, their plans to put in a homeless shelter uh, in the community and are kind of taking the early steps uh, to do that. So where do you guys want to begin? Kayleen probably knows more about this. Strangely enough, as I was thinking when you were talking about this earlier, you only got into that meeting because it was something where Mac was working on something else. And he said, hey, can you listen to this? Meeting, and this is the way our stuff works sometimes. Right. <laughs> it made me think about it when you were talking about that. That sometimes you're just like, Hey, can you just listen to this in case there's and, something going on? Yeah, the shame was, and I knew that it was there, but I had, I had been waiting for this and been kind of trying to follow this for two years, but I was just underwater with some other things. And Kayleen got the, yeah, so I will say. As, to preface this, Mac has a lot more background knowledge as this is kind of through. But you go to the Hope Center, and this a lot of these mm-hmm. opportunities tie in with kind of yeah. Things the Hope Center so does, just in so. having to have happened covered this planning and zoning commission meeting for the city of Marysville, I know a bit about the logistics of this, but Mac has a lot of background knowledge of kind of what led here as well. So just to say, I'm not <laughs> the only expert on this topic, but. Um, At the beginning of this month, a group called the Short-Term Housing Collaborative Coalition for Union County, which is a bit of a mouthful. They really should have come up with that. Like an acronym. (laughs) But it's a group led up by Impact 60, and there are other community stakeholders, leaders that are involved with this. And since 2019, they've been working towards trying to bring a homeless shelter to Union County. Our county doesn't currently have a homeless shelter, so those in need often have to go to neighboring counties to get those emergency needs met. So for a couple years, they've been working on trying to get something here. And at the beginning of this month, the Planning and Zoning Commission for the city of Marysville approved a rezoning or non-conforming use request to turn the annex of the local YMCA on Charles Lane into an emergency shelter. So this won't be long-term. It will be maximum of 90 days. So those who have either found themselves down on their luck or just in an emergency situation that need temporary housing will be able to stay here until they can find a more permanent solution. And now you said the the annex to the YMCA. Remind us what that is. So if you're facing the front of the YMCA towards the back where the armory is for the National Guard, the annex is on that side of the building. It has a separate entrance, so it is connected to the YMCA. The main, yeah, the main YMCA entrance it is the other entrance to the west. That would be west. Yeah, the west of the yeah. main YMCA entrance. Exactly. So it's housed Memorial Hospital stuff, and you mm-hmm. said a dermatologist right now. Is that what you said? Yeah, so most recently it's had more medical uses in this annex side. So it's had urgent care for Memorial Health before they moved over kind of to the Panera area mm-hmm. on the other side That's of right. the they road. They did have a second urgent care in there. If yeah, I, see, I, I visited that once I when, my, about that. when my doctor was kind of doing the urgent care, was manning the urgent mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. I had just had an appointment there because... Yes. There, so. so they had that there, and I think that's what a lot of people may recall that area as. Right now, it has a dermatologist's office and then also an allergy specialist, so still kind of those doctor-adjacent uses. And 
At first, it seemed a little bit odd to me to try to convert something that's suited for medical uses to a homeless shelter, but in the description from individuals who presented to the Planning and Zoning Commission, it actually makes a lot of sense. Um, it's a 6,500-foot space, square foot space, pardon me, um, and it has nine different exam rooms in it that each have a door that closes, a window, sink. So individuals who are staying there will have their private space but it opens up into kind of a waiting room type area which can be used as family space living room whatever they decide to convert it to so the people who staff this shelter will be able to kind of keep an eye on the general operations but people won't feel as though they have no privacy at any point so that was something that they felt was to their benefit in changing this over and something i will say they've said 6,500 square, square feet and nine rooms is certainly not enough to meet the existing need in Union County. And they've presented this almost as a pilot or a stepping stone to get a homeless shelter up and running in our county. Um, they said they visited a lot of neighboring counties to see what the existing best practices are so that they can be mirrored here. But this is just what they see as the first step so what they've done studies what did they think kind of like the daily average runs yeah so because nine to me sounds like maybe an appropriate amount mm -hmm. if they convert those rooms and i think that's something they'll see as time goes on as well um holly zweizig who works with the mental health and recovery board kind of spoke to the need in our county and she said especially in a rural county homelessness isn't something you necessarily see it's not so much tents on sidewalks but people who are sleeping in their car in local parks going just, to work in the morning we just heard that on the scanner the other day didn't we yeah. one that we thought what could have been one of those situations yeah. where mm -hmm. someone was in their car and was advised that the park closes at dusk and they would have to move on and we thought that sounds like somebody that was kind of right probably in their so there's car. a lot of those situations also holly mentioned extended hotel stays couch surfing, bouncing from family member and friends. So that level of instability where you don't have a place to go that is where you lay your head down at night and you don't start every day knowing where you're going to go to sleep. So that's oftentimes, she said, what comprises homelessness in a more rural area like Union County has historically been. So she said annually there are about 50 to 60 individuals from the county who find shelter in neighboring counties. But um, Chris Schmank, Union County Commissioner, said at any given time, there's about 60 individuals really? in Union County. See, in my mind, like couch surfers, and, and I've known people that have done that. They've, mm -hmm. they've been hanging out with a certain friend for a month at a time, and they wear out their welcome, move on. Those people, I don't think, will go to this. You know what I mean? Now, someone that's living out of their car, mm -hmm. Seems like it, you know, the few we've had that were outdoors mm. probably and would. It may depend on their fam family and personal situation as well. Something that um, Commissioner Schmank really emphasized is local districts. So as far as Union County goes, Fairbanks, um, North Union, and Marysville actually keep statistics on students they have that deal with homelessness, which I think speaks to the fact that there is a need here if right. schools have to keep that statistic. But about... 21 students are struggling with that every year. So I think this is a place that maybe a younger person experiencing homelessness that can bounce couch to couch with friends yeah. might not necessarily need this, but a young parent who has a couple kids in school that 
is bouncing from hotel to motel and staying in cars some night, this could really be a refuge for them. So I think it will vary on the need, but I think their point in saying this won't meet the need in Union mm-hmm. County is that this isn't going to house every person who is experiencing homelessness here, but it's branded as an emergency short-term shelter. So those who are you know, desperately in need do have somewhere to go. And probably helps with that war- the idea of the warming center Mm-hmm. that we've had mm-hmm. that the Hope Center's done some in the winter here when it gets exceptionally cold where exactly. when you drive those people out of their car even people when it's too cold for people to even stay in their cars right mm-hmm. that gets them inside for something like that it will help with that mm-hmm. I know I talked with Terry Emery about you know what the city's kind of position on this was and, and he was very much of the, the the mindset of hey we recognize this is not this is not the ultimate kind of the be all end all we recognize it's probably already too small, but it's better than nothing, which is what we have now. So mm-hmm. let's let's go ahead and see if we can't at least use this until something better does come along or at least help, right. we'll help who we can. And to speak to that point, um, Holly Zweig again with the Mental Health and Recovery Board said individuals who seek help in Union County are usually asked to stay in shelters in Delaware, Marion, and Champaign counties. So they do have some statistics on that. And each year, those three counties provide over 2,000 nights of housing for Union Mm. County residents. And that's not including hotel vouchers that are given here. What what were the counties you said? Delaware, Marion, and Champaign counties. Marion and Champaign counties should not be dealing with our problem or Mm -hmm. something like that. Now, Delaware's got some money, whatever, but we are are not Mm -hmm. in a financial situation in this county where we should be sending anybody to Marion or Champaign Marion should be our savior. No, I mean, the Marion County Mm -hmm. in no way should be our savior. Do you know, Kayleen, if the emergency housing maximum is consecutive days or total? I believe it's consecutive days. So Tony Ufinger, who's on the board of Impact 60, um, spoke a little bit about the purpose of this shelter. And their goal is no longer than a 90-day stay. But he said majority of people will be staying closer to 30 to 60 days because the ultimate goal is to find them more stability in a more permanent solution so they've kind of modeled what they want to happen here after a shelter in delaware county called family promise so they had um the president or executive director of that nonprofit come and speak on their behalf and she's very excited about partnering and kind of trying to help create something like what they have there here in union county and A quote that she had was, if we didn't have that vision of stabilization, that's problematic. And they really work with the people who are staying there to find employment. And she said, we want to get keys in hands. Mm -hmm. We want people to have a place that is their own, not move them to hotels or move them to other shelters, but to gain stability in their own life. And that's what Bruce Daniels, the... um, CEO or director of Impact 60 said that they want this to be something that gives people a foot up, lets them continue to move on with their life, not stay at the YMCA forever, and find something that they can contribute and give back. Mm -hmm. So I think it's encouraging to see that they've found a model that works nearby that they feel they can replicate here. They're not just, you know, shooting into the dark and saying, we think we can create something like this. Right next door, there is something like right. this. I, uh, I wonder if how this all, if the, the goal is to get keys in hand, how the issue of high rent 
mm-hmm. in this area plays into that because if somebody is living out of their car and you want to get them in something that they've they put their name on a lease, how do you transition them into a thousand dollar a month apartment? Exactly, and that is something that um, the executive director for Family Promise is named Gwen Stetler, and Miss um, Stetler spoke to that a bit that. Working in Delaware County, they have a pretty good grasp of where they can move people into what the reasonable, you know, transition spots mm-hmm. are and homes that people can reasonably go from instability to stability. And she said, she said it's going to take some work in Union yeah. County to figure out where that is here. I mean, there and, are some older apartment communities, but I um, don't think there there aren't many openings in them. And she really acknowledged to like that might mean at the beginning moving people out of county but close by you know where options are available so i do think that's a potential obstacle that they're going to face in finding this permanence that they're looking for um but i think they feel right now it's going to take a little more research and expertise to figure out how big of an obstacle that actually part is part of the reason wasn't part of the reason of the that they like the location of at the ymca annex is that they're within walking distance there were mm-hmm. employers you know it's not honda right but there yes. there's walmart meyer any number of restaurants uh, home, depot like, is home depot yes. and that's something that um tony Hufinger, the impact 60 board member spoke to is that these three neighboring counties that are giving 2,000 nights a year to our residents are also finding employees for their local businesses and by having this shelter in the YMCA, if people are struggling with transportation, they can still walk down the street and go to their jobs during the but day. But if we can't locate them in an apartment or something around here, like who's going to drive? If we relocate you into Delaware or Marion, you're not going to drive back to work. You're going to lose those employees. Right. Yeah, eventually. you're not going right. to get. And that. I even know from my own like apartment search, a lot of these apartments with the rent going up, they require over three times that of your income per month. Yeah. To, to even be qualified. So for a $1,000 rent for some of these individuals is completely impossible. They say that the best practice is that rent or mortgage is supposed to be about 25% of your of, of the, the income. So at $1,000, you're looking at almost $50,000 a year mm-hmm. that you would be to, to, to get to 25%. I mean, if you're spending, if you're spending 50% of your annual salary that's not your take home that's your annual salary for rent mm-hmm. it's really hard to it's really hard to get a foot up mm-hmm. you know then to pay for a vehicle or you know that's right and i think that's why they've kind of framed this as just one step in the right direction right. mac you know much more from your coverage but i know commissioner schmank has been on committees to investigate affordable housing in the area and I think that is something they didn't speak about this explicitly at the Planning and Zoning Commission, but I think that is something that can pose an obstacle to an emergency shelter in Union County. And that's not negating the fact at all that the need exists. And regardless of if we can transition these people to, you know, keys and hands, there are still people who need places to sleep. And that's still a problem that they might have to meet in the short term before we can figure out the long term of but what happens next? Yes, I think they recognize all of these issues are tied together. The homelessness, the lack of affordable housing, 
you know, the need for public transportation. transportation. All of these things are are hooked together, but you you have to start somewhere, and mm-hmm. um, we can't fix all of them right away. We have to kind of you know how to eat an elephant one think, bite at a time. But I think that's why you get some of the pushback. There's definitely been some. I know when we ran the story when it first came out, I had some people get a hold of me concerned about a home, the idea of a homeless shelter. Mm. Oh my God! You know, we're just going to have vagrants lying around outside the YMCA. You know, and it—it's kind of a ridiculous fear. But there are people that don't want to. You know, we're a bedroom community of Columbus now. That growth's coming this way. We can't stop it unless you want to move the county, like. Physically moving farther away from Columbus is the only way to stop things like this from happening. And we can't do that. So you have to see the idea that as this population grows and gets more diverse, it is going to bring good and bad with it. And I, I not to say bad. It's going to have success stories and it's going to have struggles. And part of that is going to be people that need a push start at the beginning of their lives or at some point where there's a stumbling block and they need some help. And there's some people that don't want to accept that, you know, and there's some people in public positions that they don't want to see, you know, they don't even want to consider, you know, somebody that can't afford a car to get to back and forth to work or loses their job, gets hit with medical bills. And all of a sudden they're living out of their car mm-hmm. for six months. But these things are going to happen more just as a numbers game. As you, as our population grows, these things will happen. And, in my impression, it's irresponsible to just ignore these people like they don't exist mm-hmm. or these problems. Right. I mean, there's a lot of fortunate people in this town that are, you know, look, not everybody brings themselves up by their bootstraps. Mm-hmm. Some people were just born into some really, you know, nice situations and now want to look down their nose at people. These are problems, mm-hmm. you know, we have to deal with. Now, I'm not saying it's 100% free handout soup kitchen either. I love the idea of, you know, you know, wanting to limit the stays, you know, maybe there's some fee with the public transportation or buy-in, you know, it's, it's not all just a one way revolving door, but I know Chris Schmink's involved in a lot of these things, like all of these issues. It seems like Chris gets in there and, and so she clearly, I think she works a lot with the Hope Center, didn't she? She clearly mm-hmm. sees, and sometimes maybe that's what it needs. Maybe people just don't know what's there. You know, they don't, you know, you drive by the park, and you notice there's two cars there parked overnight, and you never think, you think, oh, they're just, must have broke down. You don't realize there's somebody sprawled out sleeping in that car. Right. You know, I'm sure her working at the Hope Center, she has heard the stories, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, a couple of people shared, you know, personal kind of testaments to this when, they were speaking of the need in Union County, and I'll say um, Bruce Daniels, who leads Impact 60, was talking about you know their desire to eradicate homelessness locally, and he was talking about a trip he took to Nashville to see a hockey game and walking through the city and seeing you know these huge buildings, people staying in nice hotels, shopping, and then people sleeping in sleeping bags on the street. And something he said from his personal perspective is he kind of thought of as a Christian person, the Lord's prayer that says on earth as it is in heaven. And he kind of thought to himself like, yeah, this can't be what that meant. And he felt the need to, you know, work with other people here who felt that similarly. And they also had Chad Claridge speak who works for the city parks department. And he kind of testified to the need locally. And he said, 
a lot of times in the parks department, they encounter people sleeping in their cars. And he said a lot of the people are people who he sees leave and go to work in the morning Mm -hmm. and then come back at night. And he knows they're working, but they just don't have somewhere to go in between. And he said the city even has a policy at this point as far as confiscating things from parks if they find what may look like trash or something in a shopping cart or a suitcase or a bag because a lot of times it's people who are facing homelessness who are kind of storing their belongings there and he said there was a guy who was staying in his car and you know leaving for the day to work or go to his job and then coming back and they ended up taking some items that belonged to him and he went to the city and said you know my one prized possession is that guitar case I have like do you have it and they happened to still have it and were able to find it and give it to him. But at this point in time, they keep those belongings in a safe place for a certain amount of time to see if anyone comes and claims them. So I think if the city knows, hey, when we're taking these things, they probably belong to people without homes, the city recognizes that whatever the number, there are some people facing homelessness. The fact that we have to have a policy is, is indicatory that there is recognition there's a problem. Exactly. And so... Yeah, I think, you know, there might be a perception that homeless people in our county, no, that's on the West Coast, that's in San Francisco, people living on the streets. And I think homelessness can take a lot of different forms is what Holly's Weisig kind of testified to. And like Chad said, it can be someone who had an unforeseen medical expense and is a single parent taking care of kids and just needs some help right now or someone who's fleeing from a domestic violence situation and needs to get out of that. So I think, you know, there has to be some recognition that we're not, Union County is a great place to live with a lot of resources, but it's not immune to not great things. Right. And sometimes, I I know you've worked here long enough, Mac, to know who Sue Mac was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People would extend helping hands to him Mm -hmm. because, well, that's such and such as son or... You know, he went to school cousin. With us. Yeah, yeah, I went to school with him, and people would give him money, or you know, uh, people gave him spaces Ride. and apartments yeah. and mm-hmm. rides. My dad gave him rides to Columbus for different things, um, but they knew him. And I think people in this town probably didn't think of him as a homeless person because, well, that's Sumac. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He has a funny name, and we knew his family. And but he was, you know, and but people would reach out to him because they knew him. They would when it got cold. People thought about Sumac, or or whatever, or, or if they had a couple bucks and saw him, maybe they would get. But when they don't know them, when they're these faceless people that are dotting around, and there's a pride aspect of some of these people that don't want to go and ask for anything, you know, they think of it differently, you know. So it's not a problem. It didn't didn't just happen, but a lot of it's your your perspective, and and you know, these faceless people are easier to ignore and turn your back on, I think. Definitely. I feel like the local officials and nonprofit leaders are really trying to change statistics and like actual humans. I mean, like, mm-hmm. this is, we need to help them. They're going through things and they might be your neighbor. Like, what you do we, always, we always say that like, if you don't put a face and a story to it, mm-hmm. you know, if you don't turn, that's why we don't, you know, we don't take like letters to the editor from anonymous people or a lot of times when we write stories, both good and bad, we want names in there because if it's a faceless person, it's a faceless person. Mm-hmm. But when you start, you know, showing people who these people are and what their situations are, you know. You well, and I think that was, to some degree, that makes it easier 
in maybe more urban areas where you know, listen, if you drive by the bridge and there are three or four tents under the bridge, it's very easy to see homelessness. But when it's a car parked at the park, mm-hmm. you just think, oh, that's somebody parked at the park. I know in Mount Sterling, there's a lady who has a job, right? But she spends every night at the laundromat because it's open, it's lit, and it's warm. And she doesn't, she, I suppose she could probably find maybe a place to live, but she doesn't have a vehicle. And so that would be further away from the job that she has. And so she's made the decision. She can't find a place to live in Mount Sterling. And so she just, mm-hmm. you know, but you don't you don't necessarily see her unless you drive by the laundromat at 11 o'clock at night. I can't remember how many years ago it was. And Allie and Kayleen, you guys weren't here yet, but there was a family living under the 33... Bridge going over Delaware Avenue, tucked up. They went up where the the bridge, yeah, meets kind of like the embankment. Almost made a tent out of the bridge. They had they had like tarps and things that were kind of grayed in color. And if you were kind of not paying attention, you could drive right by it. But people would see them come out, and it was a. I believe the there were two kids, a husband and wife, and I believe the husband was working at. Walmart. Right, I know one of them was. I didn't remember. So it was walking to Walmart to work. The family stayed there. Of course, this was during the summer. It never got to the winter, but that was the first time I think anybody ever really saw a what they thought of as a homeless mm-hmm. family. You know, it, as we've said, it's been here all along. But seeing a family put up tarps under an overpass bridge to stay out of the rain with cars rumbling over it all night long two kids in there they were actually huge rocks they had to climb up to mm-hmm. get to where they were because they were higher up that was a really i know on social media like that kind of took off we did a story about it um and there was a lot of social media comments like that really brought a different kind of homelessness to people's consciousness here and what I was happy about was when we did the story this wasn't just some bum what someone wants to call a bum not who didn't want to work and did you know didn't want to do anything just wanted a handout or just wanted to go down and, and, and panhandle or whatever this was a guy that was walking down to Walmart or maybe the wife working while the other one stayed with the kids and were just down on their luck and didn't know really where to reach out to and I think the community ended up, if I recall, some of the groups or a person, they donated a like a, a small mobile uh, home, like y- camper type yes, thing. Yeah. And then they, so then they parked in the Walmart parking lot and Walmart let them in. Honestly, we lost track. I don't know whatever happened to them. Maybe they're still living around here. Yeah. They very well could be. We just simply lost track of them. But so when seeing a, situation like that kind of a heart-wrenching situation people will Mm -hmm. react you know appropriately i think it's just a lot of times they don't they don't have the face Mm -hmm. yeah you don't you don't recognize it Mm -hmm. so and i think this past summer i was talking with becky bolt who leads the hope center and you know all of us have just been through a pandemic we know that the kind of devastation that could bring to some people and some of us have been more fortunate but others have experienced a lot of financial instability or issues with health, whatever it may be. And Becky was saying, you know, this has been the first time for a lot of people that they've had to come and say, like, 
you know, with a bit of shame, like, I need help. Like, I have kids and I just lost my job because of COVID and we just need a meal tonight. And I think a lot of people don't recognize how many people are on the brink of that. You know, it could be one thing went wrong. That's a great point that I guess I never really thought of that. There were a lot of families that got thrown into a situation where they had to get welfare in a hurry. Mm -hmm. They had to get the emergency assistance. And I'll bet they never thought they Mm -hmm. would. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, bang, this happens Mm -hmm. and happens to a lot of people Mm -hmm. all across. Like you, everybody knows somebody that they had to ask for assistance. Mm -hmm. And you realize and then it kind of makes it it takes the stigma away from it Mm -hmm. that, oh, you just don't want to work. You know what? That's not always the case. Mm -hmm. Circumstances happen. The pandemic made the circumstance happen to everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe took some of that stigma away. And maybe that's why some of these issues are picking up steam is that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that got their eyes open to how close to that cliff's edge they actually were and never knew it the whole time. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think the fact that this is an emergency shelter should hopefully comfort some people who are a little bit wary of having a homeless shelter in our community. And these are people who have been caught in bad situations whatever brought it about if it was you know outside of themselves or potentially a bad decision they made regardless these are people who need help for a short period of time to get back on their feet and the union county officials or impact 60 board members who spoke about this made it very clear that that is their goal in creating this and that's something that commissioner schmanks spoke to is that They want this to be a hub for resources in Union County, whether these people need mental health assistance or they need employment assistance or they need to figure out how to get their kids tutoring while they're in this situation. Whatever it is, they want to be able to meet people where they are and ultimately help them be people who give back to Union County and contribute in a meaningful way. And I think, you know, the people behind this recognize that if we don't empower people a bit, we're never going to achieve the community we want to have, right. you know. And I think it's important to note, according to the presentation um, in your article, it says that no sex offenders will be permitted to stay at the shelter and a resident agreement will be in place. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, I think that a lot of times people that don't want stuff like this around, they don't want to hear the, they want to believe that they're all just bad people. They want to think, well, they put themselves in that situation through a number of bad choices and they're kind of reaping what they sow because that makes it easier to walk past them. Mm. Mm -hmm. It makes it easier to turn your back when it's when it's not a husband working and a a woman watching the two kids that just can't make ends meet. And then there there you stand just staring at that situation. Mm -hmm. It's easier to think, well, they're on drugs or they were in jail or they're whatever. It's easier. It's it it softens your own, you know, the hit on your own, I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but conscience, I guess, it eases it, eases the blow to it if you can think that it's just a bad person who made bad choices. And when it's not, you're faced with the reality that, well, in that instance then, I just chose to do nothing. Right. And that's why I think so many people just want to label these people as, as dregs or drains. And look, and also, you see cities like San Francisco that have a problem, you know, but that's, I think maybe that's what what happens when you don't address it, when you just let it turn into a tent city, you know, much bigger city, much bigger problem. But when you don't address 
or get a handle on it in some regard, I think I think that's where things happen. And you know, just turning your back and walking by people is not necessarily the way. But I even I look at you said you know it's easier to think of well they made bad choices and you know but I look at my I look at my life and I realize I have made some really <laughs> some bad decisions that God protected me from what ultimately could have been some very bad ramifications. And, um, you know, I don't know that any of us are, you know, well, we have made a bunch of really good, all of our choices have been really good. And we all chose this profession. It's look, this isn't investment banking, right? (laughs) You know, we're reporters and we don't, you know, it takes a while to build up savings in this job because it's just kind of the nature of the industry. It's, you know, like I said, you know, it's not the highest paying career. Had had this newspaper not, for two months or something, not printed, there's nobody in this room that wouldn't have been going for welfare payments also. Right. You know, right. it, it's not that hard to see, like I said, that cliff, and, you know, some, but not everybody lives like that. But the pandemic at least mm-hmm. brought people, brought and that into focus a little. a lot of us are really fortunate to have family or friends that are there to help us out. and. The, the reality is some people don't have a family member that they can go to and say, like, hey, can I sleep on your couch tonight? Or can you help give me some money for food for my kids for the next few days? Some people just are not lucky enough to have that. For some of the families, the root of the problem. Right. It's a family they're getting away from. Mm-hmm. And, and for they, sure. they, they become kind of transient mm-hmm. trying to restart their life. and. Mm-hmm. If, if all of these people that, you know, think this is such a terrible idea would consider, well, if you would get in a situation where you would, an abusive family member or something, you'd have to pick up two kids and take off and start your life over somewhere mm-hmm. quietly so that maybe somebody can't find you. Mm-hmm. And, and how difficult that is to just every connection you had or every mm-hmm. support system you had or every piece of knowledge locally you knew of where to go for help All maybe or, yeah. you know, is taken taken away from you because you had to go. Uh, these situations a lot of times are like that. And I, I look at even kind of to restart, to restart some things, if you want to get an apartment, which the price of an apartment is high, but even if you have a, a job where you say, hey, I can probably make that work. If you need first month, last month, and an extra month of security deposit, you know, that's... Or maybe I don't have, you know, I could do $1,000 a month, but I don't have $3,000 in cash and I could just. How do, or if you're on, if you're on the fence, if you're a tweener and the, and the person renting the apartment knows your family <coughs> or knows you've lived here for 30 years, they're going to be a little more inclined. You know, people in this room have gotten jobs because of family connections and things like that. Like a lot of these people are just, they're on their own. And, and, you know, I think you get insulated from the fact that. You know, not everybody is just living, working, and breathing in the same area they were born in, and they don't have the connections that help them over those hurdles in life, That whether it be housing or, you know, a couch to sleep on for a while, or, hey, I know a guy that can give you a job, let me make a phone call, right. or I've got an old car I'm not using if you'd like to use it to, you know, drive. Like, a lot of these people just simply don't have those things, and... I think the smaller the town, the easier it is to forget that people do do live like that. You know, it's just the way it is. You you mentioned that they are going to try to kind of help people. And 
are there are they doing any anything specifically? Are there any kind of employment programs, any type of training that they're working through? So at this point in time, they said it appears to still be more the planning phases mm-hmm. of that. I know that there's the desire to have staff who works there so also this will be staffed 24 hours a day seven days a week so i should mention that as well you know this isn't just a place where people drop in with no supervision there are professionally trained people there who either have you know counseling background or know how to work with people encountering homelessness but there's the desire to make these resources available to people staying there and i would imagine since they have to sign this resident agreement there's going to be some type of connection between the people who live there and the staff that works there. So I know mental health and recovery said they're hoping to maybe even be able to bring counseling or mental health resources to people there. And I would think that there would hopefully be someone from city of Marysville or Union County who can help them access job postings and things. So it's not far enough along in the phase where they were able to present here's exactly how we'll connect people. But it was very clear that there's the desire to do that. And the two major things that I saw through their presentation that they want to connect people with are mental health resources. Because even if they weren't dealing with pre-existing mental health struggles, dealing with homelessness, I mean, you probably need some comfort and help through that. And then also employment opportunities and Something that many of the people who spoke said is, look, Union County, after the pandemic, we have a staffing shortage. There are plenty of places here that need people who want to work entry-level jobs, whether that's in food service or whatever it may be. And Bruce Daniels himself said, yeah, I'm hoping that some of the people who come through might be interested in working at Leon's or whatever it may be. So I think they're working to kind of put an infrastructure yeah. in place, but they needed to get the facility approved first. It's, it's right. hard to ignore the elephant in the room of how many of these needs affiliated with a homeless facility bleed over into what the Hope Center is also. Mm-hmm. And now both trying, I guess what I'm trying to say is, it is a shame that wherever the Hope Center lands, as we've talked We'd spend an entire podcast for, to the tens of people who were listening out there. <laughs> did another podcast uh, about the Hope Center and their their need for a new home after you know the school Marysville School District is going to be uh, repurposing the old East Elementary School. But I just think it's a shame both of these things being startups that they couldn't be paired in the same right. facility because it seems like a huge bleed over of. And to your point, there was an individual who was at the Planning and Zoning Commission meeting actually for a different application, but after they presented their request for the emergency shelter, he came up and said, yeah, I didn't even know this was gonna be here tonight. I'm here for something else, but I work with an organization in Franklin County. I have for years through a church that helps homeless people in Franklin County. And I think this is a great idea here. I'm all for it. But what about the Hope Center? And I think that's a sentiment that others might read about this and share. And there was an individual there who didn't present but was either a board member or very closely affiliated with the Hope Center who voiced support and said, you know, we're working to achieve the same things. We by no means want to, you know, tear this down for our own benefit. But I could certainly see, I don't want to speak out of turn because this hasn't been planned for, but I could certainly see in the future if this works out well as sort of their pilot program, the Hope Center working to facilitate 
whatever the expansion sure. is. Yeah. Well, it's unfortunate it can't be under one roof. I mean, just, just to begin with. Uh, it just, I mean, <laughs> it seems like idea the ideal situation. Yes. Because a lot of the things, whether it's a closed closet or, or, or uh, the furniture bank, is that what they called it? Mm-hmm. Like, they have okay. legal services at the Hope Center. Okay, too. so you, you need help for 60 days to get up on your feet, and then you find an apartment and you need something to put in the apartment, mm-hmm. but you don't have the money mm-hmm. because you're putting down deposits on everything. And like all of yeah. those services are and there. And free meals so that you can put uh, your money to rent. money towards, towards a down you want, payment. You want to get a job, but you need some you need a nice set of clothes to go on a job to go on a job interview mm-hmm. you know versus what i've been what i've been wearing it right. would take without a washing machine it's it seems the problem is i think there's a lot of people putting a lot of money towards a lot of good things mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just too bad that it's not always a unified effort and it's not that anybody it's not through anybody's wrongdoing it's just that and I don't necessarily know how what you would need to bridge that gap right. to get to say, hey, look, we're all doing kind of similar things, kind of our own way. Here again, finding a home mm-hmm. would be quite a task. But if they could have a home that was, you know, all the same area, mm-hmm. hell, if you wanted to go far enough to say, put a public transportation hub in that, <laughs> right, a place where you parked that, because if those people are leaving from there, right, to use the public, like, you know, if these needs could find a common home, mm-hmm. you know, with common administrator or administrators that all work together. So, because I'm sure there's some duplication, overlapping of efforts also that could be streamlined, but that takes a big financial outlay right off the bat, and that's that's the hurdle. And to that end, actually achieving that is a whole nother story, but the fact that it was a coalition that worked together to put together this proposal, I mean, there were obviously board members of Impact 60 presenting, but then Commissioner Schmank is not on the board of Impact 60 and representatives from the Hope Center there speaking. I think people have recognized what you said, Chad, that, hey, we all kind of desire the same thing, why don't we work together on a solution? And actually getting to the solution is a huge task because like we've said, so many of these root causes are intertwined, but I think it's encouraging for me on the outside looking in to see, okay, we have all these different experts and you know, caring and devoted people that have kind of gone arm in arm and said, well, why don't we just put all of our efforts towards this? So I think that's good, but Again, it's a step in the right direction, not, you know, arriving at the solution. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it would ever take to get kind of everybody like, you know how those it's expensive. Like it's, you know, if a church is meeting at renting space in a school to get the money to build their church, it's a big step. You know, yeah, that's the ideal goal. But that's a big step. Think what this would need for a facility to get where you could house all of these things, even if it is the ideal the, the money behind it, you know, and getting everyone kind of to share, you know, whether it be the ministerial association or, or whoever, it was Mama that ran the Hope Center, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, things like that. I mean, and I, I know that um, a, a, an individual went to the county commissioners shortly after the after it was approved through the the, the city kind of approved the, the conditional use. Um, and said, hey, there will be about $160,000 needed to kind of get 
get some things done, make some modifications and get started. Is that something that the county would be able or willing to use the ARPA fund, the, the Federal American Recovery Act funds that they're using? I mean, they're using this for all sorts of stuff from, you know, fixing log jams and buying thermometers and we just talked about that this, and, this yes. pandemic i mean could have driven a lot of people into this situation whether it and, drained their life savings and now they're without like but the answer was yeah that's not a priority the homeless shelter is not a priority for us so it's not something that we would put on that we would not use arpa funds for that so um and i don't know if there will be a more formalized presentation from this group to the commissioners and a more formal ask this was the ask was not made formally it was part of a conversation i don't think you're going to get it out of the commissioners anyway i don't think the makeup is correct right now for that i think i think it has to be grassroots it has to come from ministerial Mm -hmm. the ministerial association and other groups like that i my um inclination that is that it was more just a hopeful ask because they did say in the presentation that the shelter will be funded through private funding and they'll seek grant opportunities as well so i think they feel as though they have a funding base to get this off the ground but they see the need large enough to go and ask the county commissioners and and he he did say when he talked to the commissioner that the operationally they were going to use you know Mm -hmm. private dollars but this would be essentially a one one time cost to try to Mm -hmm. get to try to get things Yes. set up and, and, get, and that makes total sense i just wanted to make sure that yeah. people yeah. don't have the perception that this is tax dollars no they were not this. they were not going for operational money mm-hmm. this was one time and th- which was what the arpa money was there's for, been was some loose time. application of pandemic related expenses <laughs> applied to those funds there's no two ways about that right you know it's just that well it benefits us so we don't care but there's no two ways about that. You could you could massage this program easily into that. Yes, and, and I mean it actually fits. And ARPA is not is not uh, nearly as tied to pandemic pandemic specific issues, uh, but it's about kind of getting helping people and and helping people America recovery right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that a homeless shelter, a temporary emergency shelter. Fits exactly what what the goal would be, maybe more than fixing a log jam. Uh, well, I'm not saying the log jam doesn't need fixed. You know, those that's benefiting property owners and large property owners versus people who, you know, can't afford a spot to to lay their head at night. When I think moving forward, we'll probably hear more about the actual creation of this shelter because this was really just. The zoning was laying the groundwork right. for this. Did so. they give a timeline as to when they kind of wanted to see some movement? Not that I heard. I know um, Trevor Secord, the CEO of the YMCA, said moving forward they're going to appro- approach the current tenants, so the dermatologist's office and the allergy specialist, and speak with them to kind of get together a timeline as to this is when we're going to need you to move out by and make sure that they can move mm-hmm. and you know, accommodate for them as well. So it didn't appear to me as though there's a timeline as to when this is going to open, but they needed to get this zoning first and then move forward. But it doesn't seem incredibly far off to me. Uh, When you say incredibly far off. I, you know, I don't want to make any wild estimate, but they, 
it seems as though the general infrastructure that they need is in place. They've talked about potentially changing the second floor and adding rooms up there if this went well to begin with. But I could see within a year this being operational. I don't want to put words in their mouth. That's that's just my perception of it. But it seems as though there are just minor renovations needed as opposed to we're building this from the ground up. That, so. that was my, that was what I took away from things as well, but I wasn't I wasn't at the meeting. And, but and there's existing about, tenants. You can't break a contract. I don't yeah. know what the terms of and those leases that are. That was not immediately clear also, and I think some things are contingent. Well, this is going to be staffed 24-7, so we need to get the right staff in place. So I think some of those things will affect how it shakes out, but... I mean, I would not be surprised if next summer they were able to open it up. Maybe it ends up taking longer to put programs in place and things. So, but they weren't talking about this. Hey, we're gonna have this open in twenty twenty five. Get a couple right. of the couple of the rooms renovated while you renovate the other ones, or you know That's, what I mean. It felt like open it they up maybe like, yes, that they maybe wanted to be open, <clears throat> potentially moving into next winter. Winters, yeah. I was wondering, you know, about that. and and. They can be doing. I don't know the terms of the of the lease, but that maybe they can do some of the things, the planning and the hiring concurrently while the while the lease is expiring. Mm-hmm. We can be hiring and get ready to move forward, so that when the lease, you know, when the lease expires, if it, if they're it, ready to run. That's right. Mm-hmm. If you can, if you can get a, unfortunately, a, a makeshift bed, a cot, and mm-hmm. an exam room. Even mm-hmm. if it's not ideal right now, right. Mm-hmm. you know, yeah. it's be- it's better than nothing, especially in the cold winter mm-hmm. months. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you guys for all the good information, and thanks to everyone out there for listening. If you like what you hear, please be sure and subscribe to the Marysville Journal-Tribune podcast pages. You can find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and many other places where podcasts are available. So be sure to tune into the show next week, and we'll see you on Thursday.